Hello, and welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Anne. And I'm Jake. We're longtime friends, business partners. Also, we do this podcast together. Morality of Everyday Things, for anyone who is new, welcome, is a podcast about everyday morality, where we ask questions like, is it okay to be a billionaire? Or should billionaires exist? Are you a bad person if you work at Facebook? And in today's episode, are luxury goods immoral? Or maybe we'll find a catchier title, like, is owning a Rolex, does that make you a bad person? In light of the spate of... Uh, robberies recently. Before we get into today's episode, we just wanted to do a little bit of podcast shout outs. You're welcome to skip ahead a little bit, but basically <laughs> just 15 to seconds, plus 15 seconds. 15 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who has left reviews. We really appreciate that. <laughs> We've had the best review ever recently. It was a three out of five on Apple Podcasts. It was with reference to our uh, meat eating episode and it said something to the effect of a surprisingly balanced argument considering their carnists. <laughs> Which, you know, actually, to be fair, if someone could say that, I'm relatively pleased with that. If someone could come from a position of staunchly disagreeing us from the outset and saying, you know what, actually, I don't agree with them or I don't agree with their overall outcomes, but it was an interesting discussion. It was balanced, at least. Yeah. That's what uh, we try and do. Try and inject some nuance into the debate. Exactly. Another one, for those who don't realise we don't plug it that much, but uh, we do have a Patreon, and we thought it was fitting to actually give some shout-outs. First of all, shout-out to Georgia Kerr, long-time fan of the show. Hi, Georgia, if you're listening. Thank you, Georgia. Thank you. Signing up as a member is as low as a dollar a month. It helps us cover the production costs and eventually growing the production value of the actual podcast. And it does also give you access to messaging us directly. I mean, you can still reach out to us on social media and stuff, but we will obviously give special attention to those people who reach out to us on Patreon itself. Mm. So thank you for everyone who's supported us so far. All reviews help. It yep. motivates us and it, it keeps the show ranking and True. helps other people to find it. And actually, one other thing, if you do enjoy the show and maybe you've had this slight inclination in the past, don't forget that actually, especially for a show like ours where we are conscientiously, having tried it once or twice, with the exception of maybe the occasional crossover, really not looking to bring on guests, the number one growth method is people just sharing it with their friends. And I don't want to like prompt that. You know, that should happen organically. If you like it, share it with people. If you think something's interesting, share it with people. But just a little nudge that if you've been on the edge of doing that on the cusp of doing that uh, and then been like nah <laughs> um, it does really help us build the show and, and add production value cool. and, and be able to, to make episodes more frequently also actually a little note on that it's been about a month since we last released sorry about that we had it scheduled earlier we had some urgent business stuff that came up and we ended up wanting to re-film the episode rather than the version we'd originally done thank you guys for putting up with that that's all the housekeeping stuff over and mm. now on to today's show yes so Jake today's question is are luxury goods immoral I just want to put a little signpost and say this is really getting back to basics for us because mm. this is, you know, some of the questions sometimes we'll be like, what are things that interest us? And it'll be the other way around. Like, oh, we, you know, what's something we want to discuss in an episode? And this is one of those questions that actually is why we made the podcast. It's the other way where we were just having discussions at lunch and it kind of prompted us like, ooh, we should read more about this, think more about this and, and actually create an episode on it. Just because we were having lunch and I made the throwaway comment that I think jewelry is stupid and wasteful <laughs> uh, and, you know, downright immoral. And then we were kind of talking about like, okay, but what about if it's an accessory? What if, it, what if it's a good value item of jewelry? What if it was just really expensive to make? And I was arguing that jewelry, its primary function rather than accessorizing was to communicate wealth. So this mm. is all stuff that we'll cover. It is. But the point there is that, yeah, this is this is kind of original form podcast material this uh, came about organically and we we're like hey do you know what we've had an interesting discussion about this literally over the lunch table as the show description says let's turn this into an episode so structurally there's going to be two parts to this episode and the way we like to split it is 
part one, we're going to really dig into the definitions and some of the frameworks and what makes a luxury good a luxury good, yep. what makes something immoral, how do we bring those together. Part two, we're going to dig into the moral arguments. Yep. And we're going to look at, like, for example, Peter Singer. He'll yep. be a big theme. Spoke about them before, but this is really the crux of luxury good, morality, immorality, Singer, and effectively an opportunity cost argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, some sort of libertarian perspective or capitalist libertarian perspective. Um, I've earned the money. I can do what I want with yeah, it. Yeah, basically. And then also, actually, I, I really want to examine um, something around, I believe it's Susan Wolf. It is Susan um, Wolf. And her yep. argument about moral saints. And basically, is the kind of over-moralization of everything, does it actually sap a little bit from a real consideration of what like a enjoyable human experience mm. actually is? Like, exactly. Should everything be a moral decision? Cool. So... Let's start with definitions. I think this one is really interesting because you, like, when we dug into it and thought about it a bit, you know, a lot of this is unique, our own thought, as opposed to like, well, this person said this. But, you know, you kind of realize that there's a few different ways of looking at these luxury good ideas. And, and, and I think we came to an understanding that kind of breaks luxury goods into two really key mm-hmm. different sets of luxury goods. And we'll explain that in a second. But let's start with a really high level. Uh, yeah, definition. we'll we'll work backwards or not backwards, forwards. We'll work we'll work we'll work from the beginning and let's look at the <laughs> speaking of the beginning etymology. <laughs> yes, let's look at the etymology. So the word luxury originates from the Latin word luxuria, which means exuberance, excess, or abundance. Hmm. And then if you sort of travel onwards into the, like so the modern dictionary definition that kind of continues so a luxury i think this is the webster's dictionary says a luxury is something adding to pleasure or comfort but not absolutely necessary mm. or it's an indulgence in something that provides pleasure satisfaction or ease and then the examples they give is one of life's luxuries or he had the luxury of rejecting a handful of job offers right interesting so i think the thing that they're touching on there is a concept of not necessary yeah right? that seems to be a key thing that comes yep. out right yeah it's yep. the opposite of a necessity yeah, this is one of the things where you draw that line. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Another one that's worth considering is an economic definition. Mm. Uh, now, I think the funny thing about this is that it's, hmm, it's a bit like defining a sickness by its symptoms rather than explaining how the bacteria or virus makes you sick, right? So when you hear this economic definition, it's like, okay, that's a good heuristic for identifying when something is a luxury good, mm. but it doesn't seem to properly capture what makes something a luxury it's good. It's almost right? like a diagnostic, right? Yes, exactly. So, so in economics, a luxury good or upmarket good is a good for which demand increases more than what is proportional as income rises, so that expenditures on the good become a greater proportion of overall spending. This is in contrast to necessity goods, where demand increases proportionally less than income. And just to break that down really clearly, what that's saying is, as you get richer, you'll spend a greater percentage of your money on luxury goods. As you get poorer, you spend a greater percentage of your money on necessity goods. And that's Which, that's kind of intuitive. It makes right? sense, right? Like, 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 let's say your necessities cost $20,000. Mm-hmm. And if your disposable income is $20,000... You're going to spend all your money on... Yeah, 100% rent, will be necessary, yeah. necessities, right? And then as you start to earn more than 20000 every incremental bit, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of savings or whatever, every incremental bit that you spend will be on luxury goods. Yeah, you might you you, treat yourself to. Exactly. You might start to upgrade some of your necessities to more luxury goods. Or you mean like nicer so, necessities. Yeah, so like there's this a little bit of a gray noise, area. Right? Right? Yeah. So, so if I start like, if I upgrade from like the cheapest bread available at, at whatever your supermarket is to like sourdough, <laughs> like is, is, the, is the marginal difference an amount that's going to luxury goods. Mm. Is sourdough a luxury? Yeah. But I mean, like, you wouldn't argue that bread is, mm. right? You'd be like, yeah, well, you need, you, know, you need to eat basic carbs, right? But you, you get my point there. And, and I think that that describes it well for people. So it's, it's a good way to look at something and be like, is this thing a luxury good? Well, do you... Basically, you can actually frame the question as, 
do you consume proportionally less of it as you have less income, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and if the answer is yes, then clearly you didn't need it. So it's mm -hmm. not necessity good. That's you can. I actually think sometimes looking at the other way around is, mm -hmm. is more helpful. So it, it captures the economic essence. But like I said, it's lacking in that social context. It doesn't really explain, with the exception of basically saying it's not a quote necessity good, which is defined mm -hmm. as X. It doesn't really touch on like what it means for something to be necessary. That's because colloquially, when we use the word luxury in the way we would sort of, before we even looked at the economic definitions when we were first arguing about this, there's a kind of like social understanding of what it means to be a luxury. Like it's it's one of those things you you know it when you see it. So mm. it, there's a there's a sense that a luxury is something obviously one it's not necessary, but two, it feels excessive or mm. there's like an element of status that comes into it. Yes, and and this kind of I mean this links nicely to what we were saying in the etymology point, right? It's like yep. exuberance, excess, abundance. Yeah, something yeah, yeah. superfluous to, to to what's needed. Yes. Okay. And this is where we start to think about where you draw that line, right? So mm. we can think of the example of a car, right? Mm. And this is a bit like the bread example, right? On the one hand, do you need a car to survive? Literally, no, mm -hmm. right? On the other hand, can you live a reasonable modern life without mm. a car? You could also argue no. And then even but then, then... it depends where you live, right? Well, yeah, it depends a little bit on where you live. So well, when you say where you live, then you're starting to say that necessity is defined by social context. Yep. Which actually I think is fair. I think so too. It's um, somewhat relative. Yep. And then also... Even within that, okay, let's say that, you know, it's reasonable to say you need a car, right? Mm -hmm. Even then, you know, you have the extremes, like the cheapest car you can possibly buy, but runs mm -hmm. reliably, like isn't a net <laughs> expected. I'm not saying you need to fall into the trap of buying a lemon, which is an economic term for like a, a bad <laughs> car, like a, where you might actually spend more fixing it. Mm. You know, you, you could buy the cheapest car you reasonably could afford, but it might not be very comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it doesn't have some of the extras like seatbelts no i'm kidding uh, like <laughs> air conditioning like, like air conditioning or like, heated seats yeah exactly like stuff like that but then when you take it to the extreme like a ferrari like okay mm. i need to get around so i quote unquote need a car that doesn't mean i can then call a, a ferrari a, a necessary good yeah and so there's a line somewhere in the middle where it's like around, i can i can around the mark of a nice audi <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> there's a line somewhere where you're like okay yes this is a necessary good and some of these features are like fair enough to include in that concept of necessary mm. but then at some point it becomes excessive and unnecessary and this actually this discussion is kind of what brought us to thinking about we were having a similar conversation like i said over the dinner table lunch table about jewelry and this is where we kind of realized that you know maybe when we're talking about luxuries and and things that aren't strictly necessary mm. maybe even then you can break that down a little bit further because i think it's interesting how when you're talking about necessity you suddenly realize i need to talk about what is and isn't necessary because, you know, if you think about COVID, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, basically everything shut down that wasn't quote unquote necessary, necessary. to survival. And then you very quickly realize, you know, what, actually, maybe the medical, medical definition of necessary isn't quite the same as like necessary for a life worth living, right? Uh, this is a thing. When all entertainment and the ability to see other people shut down. Yeah. Concert. I was going to say, this is, I, this is something we'll definitely come back to, but um, most listeners will probably be familiar with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do, yeah. So... This is a pyramid. Maslow and I had a really good time uh, coming up with that, actually. <laughs> Couple beers in a European, I assume he's Central European or something. Yeah, I can't remember when he was around. Um, uh, I do. We did it. We, we made this pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> what, back with the Egyptians. Um, no, he's, uh, so he, he, he's a psychologist who came up with this pyramid where he's saying on the, at the very base of the pyramid, the sort of fundamental human needs are physiological. These are things yeah. you literally need to survive, like food, oxygen, shelter, food, shelter, mm. warmth, etc. 
uh, water. Wait, more warmth metaphorically? <laughs> well, that, that, we'll come to it. We'll no, not, to not metaphorically. The, at the base level, it's literally like, yeah. what will stop your body from ceasing to function? In fact, I'm just going to Google it so I get it right. But then as you go up the levels, you've got things like safety. So, you know, this is, this is sort of shelter. This is, this is like, you know, financial security even kind of comes in on this level. Mm-hmm. And then you've got belonging. And so that's like, you know, you form like meaningful relationships. Yeah. Um, fulfilling social needs. Fulfilling social needs, exactly. Strictly, strictly, you know, if you had zero friends, would your body survive? Mm. Yes. Uh, actually, some evidence suggests not as long, mm. but yes. Uh, interesting from that Harvard study where they track people for decades. Mm-hmm. They were like, the number one indicator of your lifespan is the strength of your social networks. Yeah. Not, you know, how healthy you are, whether you smoke or not. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, they correlate as well, but the most important one was how health, socially healthy are you? It makes sense. And actually, this is a bit of a tangent, but it reminds me, I was um, I, I read <laughs> something recently about like, drinking and the health effects of alcohol and they were actually saying one of the things that makes studies a little bit tricky is exactly this that when you when you drink it's a great way of forming social bonds mm. and this can act to counteract the sort of harmful effects of yeah. overdrinking is the fact that you build these memories to the extent that you remember <laughs> you have all your drinking buddies <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you, you do it does help to like you know this sort of mutual vulnerability helps to form social bonds that actually exactly like you say are a really good predictor mm. of like long-term health because you know what sorry a tangent to your tangent <laughs> you, you use the word mutual vulnerability mm. right i have no problem with people who choose to be sober i actually really respect it some ways i think like man like if i could do that i would be you'd sleep so well (laughs) i'd sleep so well i'd be a productivity machine but i happen to enjoy the socializing that the calculus doesn't quite add up for me instead i just try to conscientiously not overdo it although i you know i I can't say that i always succeed at that (laughs) but then uh, the the reason i just jumped in is because it reminds me of an analogy i always say like i have no people problem with people who are sober and some people are better than this or others but sometimes when people come to drinking things and they're sober if it's the odd person and they're still, you know, loose and fun, it's not a big deal. But it can feel a little bit like the person who turns up to an orgy fully clothed. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're all here being... analogy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure well, you know, whatever. Some, the, guy, the guy who turns up to the nudist beach fully clothed. <laughs> like, everyone else is a little bit vulnerable. Uh, and you're still there seeing everyone being vulnerable. But you're not being vulnerable yourself. I see, I see, I see. Um, and, and it just kind of creates a little bit. That's part of the reason I think people are uncomfortable around people who are sober mm. in contexts where other people are not sober, right? Mm. It's not that, like, it's not that they're judging your decision or whatever necessarily. I think it's more that kind of like, ooh, as you use, as the term you use, we're supposed to be mutually vulnerable here. Mm. And now I'm just vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, I think that's one of the things that does genuinely strengthen social bonds. Yeah. So, Sorry, coming, that, was a, that was a big detour. <laughs> coming back to the pyramid, upper level from love and belonging, you have esteem. Mm-hmm. And that, I suppose, is just like, I don't know, your skills, your abilities, things that build your confidence. Feeling good in yourself. Yeah. And then the very top is self-actualization. Ooh, how amorphous. <laughs> does he, does he have a definition for that? Uh, is, it, is it finding a sense of meaning? I think so. I'm trying to zoom in on this thing. It's desire to become the most that one can be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This just reminds me of when we went surfing in Cornwall. And mm. there was that room with all the showers. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, where is this going well I don't know if that's a story that's going to translate necessarily but there was um, we were all in our wetsuits we came back in from surfing and they're like we were freezing cold and then there were these hot showers and then you figured out that you could get like four mm. showers to point at you all at once oh that was a good moment yeah <laughs> and you were like I have fully self-actualized <laughs> I thought that there was a deep point to that there that was really just, was, it was just, <laughs> I have fully self-actualized <laughs> it was just like a meme moment yeah I was like uh, you know in the Power Rangers when they all go in their little machines and it 
forms one giant machine. <laughs> <laughs> this is my final form. <laughs> anyway, so oh, sorry, it was very dramatic. But so, Mas- sorry, that Maslow's was, hierarchy was uh, it talks I, to necessity and where you draw that line of like what exactly. counts as necessary. And, and right? COVID, like you said before, is a really interesting example of this because entertainment, not necessary. But yeah, then, but then you, you you'd never say, and this is kind of the crux of this point. Like, where do you draw that line for what is and isn't a luxury? Because mm. in a sense, all entertainment is a is a luxury. Yeah, right. Like when push comes to shove, you're going to stop paying to go to the movies mm-hmm. and go out over eating yeah or shelter or you know similarly that you're gonna yeah give up your sourdough bread and buy tesco's basics Mm. it's why you work from the base of the pyramid upwards Mm. you only have to look at how well netflix and other streaming services did over covid to realize that actually there is something quite important about yes like even entertainment you know yeah Um, it it, it feel it does feel a genuine need it's mm. just not needed for literal physical it's just not as high priority as uh yeah as physiological needs now the, the reason that we say this is because when we're talking about this in the context of jewellery, like we were saying, mm-hmm. we were talking over a, a lunch table. Basically, someone was saying to the effect of like, well, you know, one, what happens when, you know, what if I think the decorative impact of clothing is important to me? It's good to my self-esteem. Yeah, it's an esteem the, level, right? Yeah, that's, that's the yeah, level it's operating in, in, in the same way, In the same way that, you know, having social connections might not be necessary to survival, but it's important to me. It makes mm. me feel good. And then the other thing they said was... What if this is like highly skilled stuff that, you know, the reason it's expensive is because it's hard to make mm. um, and has high value, not just frivolous. It's communicating wealth to people, mm. right? Like what if what if the reason my Rolex is $10,000 is because it's an amazing instrument, mm-hmm. not because there's a 90% margin there? <laughs> and, it was, and it was, well, it was this discussion that kind of made us think like, you know, what, actually, maybe maybe there's two ways to think about luxury goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and both of them meet this description where like, they aren't necessarily strictly necessities on reasonably any definition where that you want to give for like, what counts as necessary? What do we need? Um, but maybe some of them are expensive, by virtue of the cost of production mm-hmm. and the benefits that they give you are often kind of more in the like mental realm. So yeah, more it, it makes, you, feel, it makes than, you feel good, yeah. right? Or self-actualization. Because you have to remember as well, humans humans communicate symbolically, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is an argument that I have all the time where people are like, oh, this really drives me crazy when people are like, I want to dress this way. I want to dye my hair blue. And that's just that's just what I want to do. Like, I'm not like listening to whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. The fact that you think that that's what you want to do because you don't care about what other people think mm. is actually you caring about what other people think because you're trying to communicate that you don't care what other people think. <laughs> like the conception of hair as blue as like an, a uh, counterculture symbol is exactly why you're doing it. Mm. It's not like you wouldn't necessarily naturally in your like i don't know if you imagine humans running around in the wild like you would mm. be like you know what i need <laughs> i need some blue hair I need blue hair no it's it's, it's so you have to remember as well humans are in a some like communicate in a symbolic nature your point so it's there. that self-esteem self-actualization kind uh-huh. of level of like i am doing these things to some extent communicate who i am mm. and that's not just to other people often that's also to myself mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i had a really interesting discussion the other day with someone because they were we'd, i'd mentioned this discussion and they said and it was also discussed over the discussed over the lunch table. What if my jewelry is heirloom, right? As in passed down, and passed down. What what if I don't even wear it? What if I just know that I have it, mm-hmm. right? And that to me is valuable. So, for example, I when I was christened, it's very typical in Orthodox countries that you're christened and your godparents get you a a gold chain mm-hmm. with a cross, right? And I had this for a very long time, and I just kept it safe. Like I just kept it in a safe. Some literally kept it safe in a safe. Um, <laughs> keep it secret. Keep, keep it, it safe. safe because to me that was uh, an important way of basically like cherishing the feeling that that gave me and the sense of identity 
imparted to me. Like, mm-hmm. this is part of my culture, whatever my culture is. Um, so that's on a like belonging level as well. Yeah, as, but clearly yeah. it didn't actually communicate to anyone because mm. I wasn't wearing it, right? So it kind of counteracted my, my idea of jewelry in that sense. Like, this is now just a cherished belonging mm-hmm. beyond what the thing is worth in the same way that a childhood teddy bear can be. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, it actually communicates to me something about who I am and my past. So we kind of understood suddenly, like, there's this idea, first of all, Lux- like there are luxury goods that communicate that impart value in this way and secondly like some of them may so in the context of jewelry we we're talking about this is sorry that there was a little detour there but back to my point you know sometimes if you think about jewelry and communicating to other people and stuff like jewelry can serve a genuine function accessorizing mm-hmm. right and what happens when you start to get jewelry that's reasonably priced considering how much Expensive it costs to make, it is to make yeah. yeah and is just an adornment and you know i think even the strictest person can agree like you don't have to be totally is it aesthetic yeah ascetic i don't know how you say ascetic is how i've always read it (laughs) it's probably not pronounced that way but you you mean like living a minimalist life yes exactly like you you don't suddenly argue that like everyone needs to do that well this is what we're going to come to in the moral sense argument right Mm -hmm. uh you know not everyone needs to be gandhi in like a shoe like askew or a shoe (laughs) (laughs) we're bringing too many difficult words here i've only ever read them yes Um, yeah yeah that one you don't need to suddenly like consciously push away all of these one ability to communicate who you are and your past and your symbolic self Mm -hmm. and to enjoy some of these things right and and understand that like necessity is more than literally surviving Mm -hmm. in order to have these things what about jewelry from accessorize right that like stuff really isn't even yeah like that's really cheap it accessorizes literally names in it you know i, I guess what's it what's the u.s equivalent hot topic like cheap not you're fate. asking the wrong person. yeah <laughs> cheap, cheap jewelry that serves the purpose accessorizes but isn't made with rare metals and clearly doesn't communicate well mm. does that fit into the same thing is that necessarily yeah. a luxury so anyway so this is a long long way of saying there's probably two types of luxuries one is this like Maybe it's expensive by virtue of cost of production, but maybe it's good value, mm-hmm. right? So you're saying and, something luxury is just something expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's this economic definition where like you consume more of it, the more disposable income you have, sure. you consume less of it, the less you have, mm-hmm. right? Disproportionately. So clearly it's not needed. So mm-hmm. it's not needed. It is generally expensive, but good value, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And the middle one, like I said, generally expensive, like not all luxuries are, are necessarily even expensive. It's just, mm. you know, buying coffee out is a luxury. Yeah. Right? Uh, unless you're a caffeine addict. Although even then you'd find cheaper ways to meet that need. But then we come to the second one, and this is really the one where we start to think uh, with our moral hats a little more on, right? Because some some goods really do solely display wealth. And they ha- they have one of the features of that is that they have a huge margin, which means that they're not good value. They're not expensive. You're paying for something other than the physical product there, right? You're paying for the brand. Yes, and you're paying, it, often it's brand that you are paying for, yes. If I recall when we first had this argument, I feel like this is this is at least what was um, getting your goat, was mm. <laughs> well, a sense and this of is, a luxury this is, where like, it's a brand like, I'm just picking on Rolex and Gucci just because they're obvious um, mm. sort of luxury brands, but they've created something, an artifact, whatever it is that you... you a cultural you, symbol. A cultural symbol, exactly. And the expense and the margin is uh, is excessive. There's a socially understood thing that you're wearing this because you're wealthy. Like yeah. a Rolex it's, is a symbol It of is to communicate wealth. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's really, it's funny because when we're talking about jewelry, I realized that we reach a more nuanced point nowadays. Mm-hmm. But really, that's what I was hitting at, right? I mean, there are a few good examples in history. First... I want to just hit on a couple bits of terminology around that, right? So first of all, we talked about luxury goods. 
Uh, but then we have this the second category we we're talking about, where it's like you know they have really high margin, the the functions display wealth. Normally, you would use describe these in economic terms as uh, items of conspicuous consumption. That's a lovely expression. Yes, I always really and and that. many of these fit into a very rare product category, and that product category is called Veblen goods. Cool, named after the economist something Veblen. Thornston Veblen, I think, or something. Like oh, that. Norwegian or something. Sounds like um, anyway, not the not the point. Veblen, you're getting credit. Calm down. We don't know your first name. <laughs> I'll give you the definitions of those. Mm. So. Conspicuous consumption is a term in economics that describes and explains the practice by consumers of using goods of a higher quality or in greater quantity than might be considered necessary in practical terms. Yep. So what that's saying is basically you're buying stuff to signal. Yes. Like you don't yep. need as many of this thing as you've bought or you don't need it to be as nice. It's it's a Ferrari versus buying a regular car yep. or it's a luxury apartment versus yep. a normal flat. Or, I mean, I think a really interesting thing that we said there is of a higher quality or a greater quantity than might be considered necessary. Think about watches, mm. right? I can tell the time on my phone. Yeah. I can buy a Casio for like five pounds. <laughs> Even the fancy looking watches, you could buy a fake, mm-hmm. right? You had a friend who did Well, that, this right? is this is a yeah, funny story. <laughs> yeah, I remember a friend was saying, uh, you know, they, they like to collect expensive watches. Or mm-hmm. it was a friend's dad or something like A friend of a friend's dad, someone like that. Anyway, what they said was, and recently in London, there's been a spate of like expensive watch theft. Mm. And they were saying basically... Oh yeah, what they do is they buy this expensive watch mm-hmm. and then for every expensive watch they buy, they buy a fake that's mm-hmm. exactly the same and then they wear the fake out and if it's stolen, no big deal. They have the, re- <laughs> but, but to them, it doesn't feel like it's a fake because they know it's no, 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 no. I, I credit for this. I have the real one. I'm just not wearing it, right? <laughs> Which is the, the, it's on the one hand, kind of brilliant. On the other hand, it really makes you think at some point it's like, well, then why do you have the real one? Yeah. Right. Like, what's the point? Like the fake is good enough to wear out. And then no, suddenly at some point it's like, you are just buying this to tell yourself that you have it and to make yourself comfortable wearing the fake. And the intention of wearing the fake is to communicate to other people. Hey, I am a big deal. And I remember actually, I, I, I had a friend and I remember they once, it was someone I briefly dated. A friend. A friend. <laughs> <laughs> friend in quotation marks. This was quite a long time ago, nearly, nearly a year ago. I remember at one point they were like, oh, you have passed my test. And I was like, mm, one, I don't like people who test people, but okay. Two, what is the test? <laughs> what score did I get? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much out of 100? And they were like, you saw my watch, but you didn't treat me any differently. Uh, what was the watch? I, had, I, I hadn't actually noticed the watch. I didn't care. <laughs> but actually, if anything, I think I saw it at one point and I was like, a bit showy. Uh, they right. had like a Rolex, right? Whoa. But they explained to me, I have this Rolex. It's a fake Rolex. Mm-hmm. And they worked in a client-facing role. And they mm-hmm. were like, I have noticed people genuinely treat me differently upon realizing I have this, right? Mm-hmm. And so they use it as a test of character. Like, are you the kind of person who cares whether I have this object? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which kind of speaks to, okay, maybe we're undervaluing the fact that like these goods have impacts on our Mm -hmm. lives and on other people and and do communicate something. People care about fashion. Whereas I'm the kind of person who sees that stuff and I'm like, like I said, I I think if I recall, I saw it and was like, "Mm, like, really? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, just just a bit much. Sorry, that was a a little diatribe on the uh, watch thing. But yes, sorry, it's it's higher quality. Coming back to the definition of consumption. consumption, it's using goods of a higher quality or in greater quantity. Fancy watches. It's not necessarily to tell time, doesn't have any extra utility, right? Mm. A Gucci handbag. If anything, a lot of these are practically not very good handbags. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, get a backpack, get a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even then, to the extent that you value that look and feel, if you think about these Gucci handbags, this is a very common practice. Mm. The fact that they're literally made in like sweatshops and factories in, in China and other countries like that, right? And once they have the material and the pattern, a lot of them will make 
extras, mm. right? And then sell them as fakes. They're, they're not real because they're not sold at the branded shops and stuff. But it is literally the, the same, same product material. made yeah. in the same place. And it might be a tenth of the price or whatever, right? That's mad, isn't it? And, and then you kind of, you know, you think about my, my story about the guy with the watch and the fake watches. And at some point it's like, well, then what's the point in the real one? What, mm. what, what I'm going to sound like such a cliche philosophy podcast guy, but like, what even is the real one suddenly, <laughs> right? Like, oh, the fact that you've paid too much for it in the branded shop it's mm. the same thing it's literally the same thing not all fakes are literally the same thing but you know lots of them are of sufficient quality that the, the difference is imperceptible hence people have them fascinating anyway so that was a conspicuous consumption definition jake the next one which is really interesting a and, and again if you buy these it feels mad when you hear this definition go on sir yeah so a veblen good is a type of luxury good for which the demand increases as the price increases in apparent but not actual contradiction of the law of demand so just to break that down, the law of demand basically says as the price falls, you buy more of it. This is a wild case where the price rises and actually people want to buy more of it. And the result is an upward sloping demand curve. That will definition will be familiar to any students of economics. But if you're not, again, it's what I just said. Hmm. Price falls, you should buy more of it. That's normally how markets yeah. work. Now, these ones, I think this is basically what we're talking about. And this really captures that concept of conspicuous consumption, right? It almost like empirically proves that people are buying this thing for what I would say is the wrong reason, the discussion whether this is the wrong reason. And we've kind of talked about the importance of symbolism and communication. Whatever hinges on the importance of self-expression right? and stuff like that, right? So if this is basically saying there are some goods where when the price goes up, the demand for that good goes up. And why might that be? Yeah. The key thing here, I think, is kind of what you're saying. It, it's about making it a status symbol. Yeah. Uh, it's and just, it being more a, expensive yeah. makes it more of a status symbol. Exactly. Just to round off the end of that definition, the higher prices of Veblen goods make them desirable as a status symbol in the practices of conspicuous consumption and conspicuous leisure. Mm. The products may be a Veblen good because it is a positional good, something few others can own. And that's just saying like when something's rare or scarce that you'll, you'll necessarily want more of it. And that's that's like saying, it's kind of crazy, but it's like, imagine something goes on sale and the price increases, like Gucci bring out an even more expensive handbag and suddenly people are like, oh man, that's the one I need to get. Like yeah. that's, that's... Yeah, I mean, here's another example, right? If you think about the most expensive watches in the world, mm -hmm. I would actually hazard a guess that the most expensive watch in the world sells more units than the 10th most expensive watch in the world. Mm -hmm. because, because it's got a symbol. Yes, the it. most expensive watch in the world communicates more effectively that it is really, really bloody expensive. Sometimes there's also, I think on the extreme other end, this can also happen a little bit. Sometimes when something's too cheap, you know, rather than it being like, oh, this is better value than before, suddenly you get a human bias where it's like, what is this communicating about the value? Yeah, right. It's uh, too cheap. It's yeah, suspicious. It's, it's too cheap. It's suspicious. And this is the other thing. I think like two people's credit, sometimes when they see really expensive stuff, sometimes they don't understand that the function is status. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they might be, well, if it's super expensive, it must be really good, right? Yeah. You assume there's a correlation with quality. Yes, exactly. Which may not exist. You know, we've given these two ideas of luxury goods. For ease of, you know, description later, we've described one set that are good value, but not necessary. And another set that are bad value, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. These conspicuous goods whose function is status. And I, I, I think to give a really high level statement on the outset, all luxuries to some extent have moral trade-offs. We'll come to that. But really, I think the first ones are kind of a gray area and it depends a little bit. Your social mm -hmm. context, your personal means, your personal views on how moral one should be, etc. The second ones are the ones where I start to feel like, okay, there isn't much space for arguing that these are anything other than wasteful. Because, I mean, this is my personal moral position, but it feels like effectively wasting money to let people know you can waste money feels like a bad use of money. Yeah, we'll have to talk about this. But do you remember the app? The I'm Rich app. <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> Back when it was the iTunes store, uh, mm. or the app store was just first out, and you could buy it for $999, which was the max price an app could be set at. And 
I mean, I never got it, obviously. I think I remember being told that when you opened up this app, all it did was flash, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it's the perfect example, right? The, the sole purpose, it's actually, it's one of those things where like, it was so post-ironic, it stopped being ironic. Yeah. Like it's the kind of thing someone would waste money on to be like, haha, how silly is this thing? But it actually perfectly captured exactly it does. The, the point it was making fun of. Exactly. And and the amazing thing is people actually downloaded it. I don't know how many, but... <laughs> I mean, it was expensive and it cost nothing to make, effectively. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It's still a good margin for those, those app developers did really well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I wanted to, sorry, I wanted to give a quick thought experiment to kind of put this stuff in context, right? And it, it, I mean, let's put ourselves in a context where there is no market. There is no economy. The and desert island. The desert island, right? So if I lived in a desert island, you could still enjoy luxuries, right? There wouldn't be a market for buying them, mm-hmm. but there might be certain things that you would only consider doing for yourself if you have excess time or the ability to exert excess effort above just basic survival. Say you've made your little shelter, you've got fairly reliable access to food and water and stuff. Cool. And then you start to be in that position where it's like, I need to sometimes treat myself. I need things to look forward to. I need things to hope for. Some way of expressing yourself. Yes. So you've caught enough fish. You've got water from the stream. Yes. You've got your coconuts. So maybe you could still, maybe though, you could still enjoy luxuries. Maybe sometimes you catch the harder fish Mm. that, you know, is a more unusual and interesting taste. Maybe sometimes you swim out and try and capture lobster. Whoa. Right? Whoa. Do you think you'd value lobster the same way? What if there's loads of lobsters? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe you're sick of lobster. <laughs> but you get my point. Lobster's a funny example. Yeah. I, I mean, because Marco. obviously lobsters are sort of status rich food. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose that's a function of maybe they're scarcity or maybe it's just something we've socially built up as like... It's, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they used to feed it... Didn't they used to feed it to prisoners in the Caribbean or something? Really? I can't remember. Or maybe wow. that's like one of those apocryphal stories. But I think that's true. But you're right. It, it's market dynamics, right? In a lot of places, it's because it's hard to get. Caviar is a funny example of that. Because I'm sure, yeah. like you've said, I, I think there are places where, you know, fish row is, is common. It's like cheap. So yeah, I mean, particularly sturgeon are common. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. But the fact that we've built caviar up as like a real symbolic sort of luxury mm. food is yeah. it's funny. That's kind of just a function of the way markets have evolved. Exactly. Anyway, sorry to come back to your point. So lobster, so let's, lobster. Say, let's say lobsters are rare. Yeah. catching one is effort. And, but to you, it's a special treat. You enjoy it. It communicates nothing to anyone else. It's just something that is, you know, more quote unquote expensive, not in cash terms, but in effort terms. Yeah. But you occasionally do it to treat yourself to an unusual, interesting extra pleasure to your normal life. It, you mm-hmm. know, it spices things up. So, right. That seems to fit into that first category of good value luxuries. So mm-hmm. the point is, even in a space where there is no market, you could still treat yourself to stuff. You could mm-hmm. still, it, it's this idea of treating yourself treat to something that, to something, <laughs> you know, that benefits you. You know, you wouldn't necessarily perilously climb up a mountain in search of shiny stones to just put around your neck when you're the only person who lives on that desert island. Mm. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Like, would you enjoy this in a vacuum? The only problem is, and this is then to flip it around, human existence isn't in a vacuum. We're yeah. social creatures. We exist in a social we context. We exist in a social context. And and again, to kind of contradict my own point, and this is part of the reason it's so hard, and it's part of the reason these goods do exist, you know, what happens when you derive a lot of pleasure from letting people know that you're high status and wealthy. Well, right? What happens yeah. when that makes you feel good and does that self-actualization? This could segue quite nicely. Why don't we develop your desert island example into there's a small tribe on the desert island or just right. tribes in general? Yeah. And then suddenly you start to use fashion as a means of self-expression, not necessarily self-expression in a sort of actualization sense, but like status. you communicate your status in the tribe. Yeah. And then that links to your, uh, I think it's your native Indian example you're going to give. Well, so this is Native Americans in, I believe, Washington State. There sure. was the practice they had that was outlawed. Part of like electing a new leader was that they would 
literally amass the largest pile of stuff possible and burn it. Mm. Um, because it was a statement of like, this is how powerful and wealthy I am. I can get all this stuff together and waste it. Right. Mm. And I think it was outlawed by American government because it became a bit ridiculous. And then flip it around as well. Not flip it around, but similarly, you know, in the example you're giving, Pacific Island communities often throwing large feasts in kind of, you know, local political settings is a method of communicating high status, high value. Mm. And similarly, it's one of the communities where, similar to a lot of Western communities, actually, um, some centuries ago, being overweight was really a status symbol as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it literally. communicated having the means to, to amass that way. It's like the right? Venus de Milo, right? That's yeah. the sort of original symbol of beauty was like actually being well-fed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, funny because we've, uh, we've always likened the Native American example to the purchasing of Google AdWords <laughs> in modern startup culture. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily a perfect analogy. It depends if your ads run profitably or not. But assuming you lose money on the first purchase with those ads, it is a bit of a competition as to who can sort of burn the most money at the altar of google yeah <laughs> it has some, don't know if that's some, familiar to it's not it's yeah not familiar it also, some... oh, not a perfect analogy but a funny anecdote for sure yeah and it's funny like actually when you think about these symbols of of signaling a couple other ones that i i find interesting or annoying suits mm. right i think it's so funny that suits are a symbol of conformity when in reality suits originally were an intentional symbol of wealth symbol of wealth right mm. the reason you wore a suit is because literally other people couldn't afford to wear them mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Whereas now, we, in mass market, you can buy them for a very reasonable price at M&S or whatever, or, or you know, Target or like, maybe even Walmart. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I don't live in America. Sorry. I'm not sorry. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with me? I'm such a British apologist. Um, but you, you understand my point that suits used to be actually like a filtering mechanism, the same way expensive jewelry is. Mm. And in the same way that we now, you know, you can go to your cheap stuff and buy fake jewelry to accessorize mm-hmm. you can now buy these suits and they flip from a symbol of exclusionism or elitism to, to a symbol to, of conformity to a symbol of conformity and uh, not even stay i mean there's still an extent to like oh do you work in a suit you know blue collar white collar do you mm-hmm. wear a suit to work or not yeah largely it's kind of uh, dissipated in that format and then also royal purple jake tell us about royal purple do you know what i actually can't remember the royal purple example is it oh it's, it's very simple it's same thing purple was a royal color because it was expensive and difficult to make right so it the was dye itself was actually quite yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so it was naturally an elitist symbol because it was like well you literally couldn't wear purple otherwise mm. but then to, to kind of add to that I remember there's uh, I can't remember which Roman emperor but one of them banned non like highest court I can't remember what level they drew the line at but like if you mm. weren't at least this level you can't wear purple mm-hmm. to really turn it into a status symbol wow um the last so, example we have in the notes, uh, it's just gold toilets. <laughs> I don't know if this is just, just a really, joke. I, I, I think it's Are just there gold plated toilets? Is this like a of course, Donald Trump. Versailles? Have oh, you not seen? Of course. Yeah. Right. And it's Donald also Trump. like, yeah, of course. I, I think that's just a funny metaphor, right? Yeah. Like, it's so excessive. So excessive. And if anything, it starts to, t- like, I think when you take these ridiculous examples, for most people, it starts to tip into the, like, you have entered irony here. <laughs> like, mm. this is so excessive. It actually helps us realize how ridiculous luxury goods can be sorry so there's a little bit of a, a little bit of back and forth diatribe there you know detours i'm sorry guys we're taking detours deal with it that's how we do um <laughs> i think the point is overall that like luxury goods can exist outside of even the context of markets like we gave that desert island example mm-hmm. and the question is when are these luxury goods starting to be detrimental and i guess this is my personal fundamental view even the ones that are quote-unquote bad value or conspicuous spending mm. they serve a human purpose right like it can still make people feel good there are people who feel good having their gucci bag and their louboutin shoes right mm-hmm. my question is and this is the kind of moral imposition i'm making on people at what point should we be reconsidering the content of our character and saying you know what actually like 
maybe it's a better way of addressing this need and feeling I have is to, you know, actually address it rather than placate it with expensive things, mm. right? My need, my feeling and desire for status to the extent that one has that that's driven by having expensive things to communicate your wealth. Is it more effective to continue buying these expensive things, mm-hmm. even if you have the wealth? Or, or should you be addressing that struggle head on? Should you be somehow working out how you can be the kind of person who resolves that need that you have inside yourself or or absolves yourself of that need somehow rather than the person who actually meets that need with excessive consumption? Considering, as we will in the next part, sorry, this is going to be part two, you know, when you're buying something, a major moral consideration is think about the other stuff you could be doing with that money. Mm-hmm. The opportunity cost. Yeah. Are you, are you sort of um, suggesting that people are the victim of, of advertising? I think advertising adds to it. Mm. But I don't think that they are the victim of it, no. I mean, like, I think that these desires and needs existed before advertising. Like, you know, medieval kings wore crowns long before the, like, media <laughs> complex yeah. kind of worked out that they could convince people they need to buy things. Mm-hmm. Another interesting story, De Beers rings. Um, I was going to say, yeah, we haven't talked about De Beers and diamonds and stuff yeah. in general. I mean, this, uh, diamonds are a funny one. This comes back to the jewelry thing, right? Value of diamonds, entirely inflated. Like... There is one company who basically had like a monopoly on the market and through a combination of restricting supply and smart, smart marketing, you know, hey, you need to buy an engagement ring. Most people don't realize the, the idea of an engagement ring was invented by the biz, was invented yeah. by the people selling diamonds uh, within, within the, the last rule. century. Or yeah. Two. Who also invented the rule that an engagement ring had to be a certain proportion of like yeah, X months of salary. Right. And yeah, uh, which is obviously ridiculous. I mean, yeah. any. I feel like ingenious. any <laughs> ingenious on their part, but I feel like any reasonable partner, again, this speaks to my personal values, but any reasonable partner should be like, I would rather a much cheaper ring and that money be used on us doing experiences together or building a life together. It's amazing that you say that, ring. but now, now that's like, it's such a social norm that it's, I don't know. Oh, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, I've bought into the social norm. Like, yeah. If I were to propose to someone, I would get them an engagement ring. Yeah, because you'd look I just really don't know cheap. I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's all about, at some point, you have to, you have to, you know, you know recognize the Joneses. You, yeah, exactly. You recognize that you live in a social context as well. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, the, the De Beers point is cool. Uh, sort of speaks to advertising and mm. the effect of that. But how else would you suggest to address these? You didn't phrase it exactly like this. Let's say you're calling it like an insecurity. How else would you address this insecurity? And is that is it fair I, to I call think, it an insecurity? I think advising people people in the sort of therapy that they should see is, is a little beyond the scope of this uh, podcast. But you I see mean, it as a problem. My, you see it I as mean, a social I mean, problem to buy expensive yes. things for the purpose of communicating wealth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I see it as a social problem. I see it as, as a problem of waste. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, when, when what you're paying for is, is by majority margin, mm. that means that the money is just flowing to someone who's making profits. And empirically, most of these people with the profits basically sit on it they don't they don't redistribute it in an effective way we'll dig in this a lot deeper but you know say i have ten thousand pounds for something that's worth a thousand pounds that's nine thousand pounds of excess that i've just given to someone for the brand for the brand given to someone who doesn't need it Mm. right versus you know i could have had a product that is functionally the same Mm -hmm. minus the brand and have given that nine thousand dollars to some worthy cause if i get rid of that need for conveying status i am in the exact same position Mm. And the world is $9,000 better. It's interesting that you've narrowed down a margin as one of the key sort of factors in your definition, though, because mm. let's say the same 1,000 bag to produce costs 2,000 retail value. Mm-hmm. Does it shift from being a good value luxury in your two definitions from like it was a it's, bad value? Does it shift to becoming a good value depending on the price it's retailed okay. for? I, th- I think that it's, I want to clarify that it's a heuristic, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I think we've seen before in some of our own work, right, that like percentage margin is misleading depending on the price of the thing, right? Yeah. If you sell something for five pounds and you 
keep a 50% margin. It might be that you just can't run the business, mm -hmm. you know, because another way of saying that is rather than saying, oh, you make a 50% margin, it's I only make two pounds per thing I sell or two pound 50 per thing I sell. Yeah. So how many things do I need to sell? And to be fair, when you're not selling very many bags, if you're making a thousand per bag, there's yeah. probably, right, and that's why they retail so high, right? It's because to actually... Like well, actually, maybe a mixture. <laughs> it depends. You're right because obviously, so like diamonds do make excessive mm. profits. For example, but like you don't sell. I don't know. It, it, there's a balance of like quantity and. Um, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Value. That is true. Like I, I don't want to get into the business economics of it because you're right. Like sometimes high margin is justified. If I make an extremely specialized good with a small market, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe I need to take a really high margin because, you know, I can't sell that many units. Mm. And the people who I am selling to really need it and have a, a really high elasticity to their demand, i.e. are willing to pay a high price for it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's a heuristic. Yeah, right? but I don't think your problem is necessarily with the margin anyway. I think your problem is with communication, the, the sort of like the mm. way that people use the, the why. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason, if, I'm putting words into your mouth here, but I think the reason you don't like it is because you think that it's distasteful to spend money trying to communicate wealth when you very clearly could have used that wealth for alternative purposes. Yes, yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I guess it's really just speaking to my personal values, which I think you, in this regard, roughly share. I don't know if you feel as strong as I do about stuff like jewelry and things like that, but like, mm. yeah, it just, it like the analogy I gave of the person with the, the fake Rolex earlier, the, mm -hmm. the story of that person. To me, ironically, before they explained that it was a fake and, you know, they just see how people react to it. You know, when I saw that this person had that, it had the opposite to the intended effect. Mm. I didn't think, wow, this person's rich. I thought, wow, this person is distasteful. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're uncommon in having that opinion. I think it's one of those things where it sort of communicates both, doesn't it? Mm. It communicates both wealth and then depending on your personal view, you either admire that or you're like, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, if you think about it, increasingly the zeitgeist of the ultra wealthy is to not act ridiculously wealthy because mm. it's not the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if anything, they make a, a concerted effort to not seem wealthy. That's why you get these ridiculously expensive white t-shirts and stuff nowadays. Mm. The ultimate status symbol Whoa. is to not act rich and let it wow. slowly be uncovered. So yeah, ostentatious displays of wealth to me, you know, more often, <laughs> again, this is, I guess everything comes back to my personal feeling and views. Everyone's moral stuff comes back to like, what do you intuitively feel mm. at some level? You know, it, it just feels like, why do you need to say this? And, mm -hmm. and could you not remedy this some other way? Okay. Interesting. I think we've probably, yeah, that's not a bad place to wrap up. I think we've, between us, I think we, we've got a good sense of what we mean when we're talking about luxury yeah. goods. And Although we, it's and still fuzzy. It is still fuzzy. I, I, I The most interesting sort of fuzzy area is cars are a good example of this. Let's say you call cars a necessity. You've got your basic car, which you need to get around. You've got your Ferrari at the other end, which we can all agree is, is a very luxury. luxury. And then you've got those cars in between, which are like, they're just nice versions of a basic car or yeah. like dumbed down version of a Ferrari. And some yeah. Where I presume it's a line drawing exercise of like, okay, this is tip from being necessary into luxury, but yep. it's actually a little bit hard to. Yep, yep, yep. And there's factors like your social context that matter, yeah. right? I think, I guess, again, this is kind of more mm, looking at symptoms than, you know, saying why or how, but mm -hmm. one way would just be to see how the consumption of that good changes with average household income, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, guys. That's kind of a, an outline of the definition of, you know, what's luxury. And there was a little bit of an exploration of our personal opinions of like mm -hmm. how we morally feel about these things. The next one is going to be looking at the perspectives of some more typical philosophies in the field and basically discussing the moral opportunity costs, but then also a discussion of the fact that being human is more than being moral. Uh, mm. So looking at that moral saints argument by Susan Wolfe. Yeah. Is this necessarily a moral question? Or to what extent should it be? Guys, see you in part two.